Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Rachel saw Barbie. I saw Barbie. Rachel, it was It was... It was good. I think, here's the thing. I came in after everybody's already seen it. So I was just, I don't know what I was expecting. But I thought it was good. It wasn't as amazing as I, I you described it as like, did you say it was like the best movie you've what seen? What did you say? I said it was the best theater experience I had since Avengers Endgame. Everybody was laughing. Okay. I was having a great time. I was feeling I was into the movie, so I liked it. I love the message. I love the the Barbie world versus the real world. I love that whole concept. Mm -hmm. I loved Ryan Gosling in it. I thought it was so good. I loved the Barbies, like the the various Barbies that I saw. But it was a good movie. I wasn't blown away by the movie in general, but I love the message of the movie. The message blew me away. The message blew you away, but not the movie itself. I think I read too much Mm -hmm. about the movie. And then, you know, doing the rounds on TV last week, everybody wants to talk about Barbie. So I was talking about a movie I had not seen. So I'm researching, you know, um, America's speech. I'm looking at the reviews. And so it's like, I think I should have seen it before all of that. I think you hate women. Okay. Then I would hate the message. Well, it's not... the message is yeah, one thing. Yeah, get it right. Get the message right. is one thing. But you, you know, I get criticized a lot on this podcast for my takes towards women. I don't think that yours have been like Well, if this is the example, if this example I don't think that yours have been appropriately examined for your overall allegiance to women's freedoms and the, their, the freedoms of their bodies and, and their movements. And this is why they don't do this. Because if this is the hill that you're going to die on and this is the example you want to use, your family, you got to come better than this. It was good. Donnie, have you seen Barbie? I did. I loved what it. did you think? It was hilarious. We did a double feature. We watched Barbie, went for lunch, then saw Oppenheimer. I don't know how y'all do that. Why? Yeah, because I'm never gonna go see Oppenheimer in the theater. Why I'll tell you right now, I'm not sitting for three and a half hours. I'm just not just to watch the movie. I'm not. Yeah, I can't do it. I, I, I my attention span's not that great to watch the three hour movie. I mean, I know a lot of people like that. I, I'm good. I need breaks. You need breaks in a movie. A three and a half hour movie. A three and a half hour movie. So I don't know. If what's I, the longest I, movie that you like? I don't know. Do you ever see... Um, maybe Legends of the Fall. That's pretty long. I don't maybe, know if it's that long, Is Last though. of the Mohicans long? That's I long. love that. I like, love Last of the Mohicans. Mohicans. How the fuck you gonna stay... Last of the Mohicans is a tough watch. That's a great movie. But that's a that's more of a tough watch than Oppenheimer. Is. I loved... But it's also a very beautiful movie, though. It's Last of the Mohicans. So good. It's a, it's like looks beautiful. Legends of the Fall looks beautiful, too. Maybe Rage is a more aesthetic... Maybe movie goer, you know what I mean? Like you like because those movies are very grand in their shots yeah. and the lyricalness and the music, of the yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Like coupled with the music and the acting, it's all it all just it moves me. Uh, last movie isn't that long. It's 112 okay. minutes. Okay, well, see, it's not that long. What's a long? What's the longest movie? Like uh, X. You ever see X? Malcolm X, Denzel, I Denzel did, Washington. But, That's but, long, but. I feel like I watched it in pieces. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't see it when it came out. You know, I wasn't allowed to watch all that. 
Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. I get that the judge wouldn't allow you guys to watch films that had a lot of sex and violence and all of that stuff. Couldn't watch R. Okay. The judge wouldn't allow you guys to watch a movie about the life of Malcolm X. It wasn't the who, it was the rating. I'm, I can't, I, we got to get the judge on here. I can't, was, I can't, I, I don't, I think, I think that's wackaroni. Like, you can't watch a movie about the life of Malcolm X. I couldn't watch rated R movies. You talk to, di- use the judge. I mean, talk to the judge. Uh, here we go. Titanic. Would the judge have allowed you to watch The Passion of the Christ? I was uh, 17 when Don't that came matter. out. Don't matter. Would the judge, it, like, the at the time, it, let's say The Passion of the Christ came out when you were no, 13. No, You couldn't watch The Passion no, of the Christ? No. Interesting, no. man. Okay, so you were saying, though. Go ahead. Um, Titanic. Titanic. Okay. Donnie said X was PG-13. I wasn't 13 when it came out. So X is not even R. I couldn't see, th- I couldn't see those movies. I had to sneak to see it. I couldn't see 13 at P- until I was 13, PG-13. So, X, Ma- you couldn't watch the, the a movie about the life of Malcolm X. I mean, look, do you know there's so no many places I could go? No exceptions were but, made. But it was PG-13. But, it, but, but I know you want to go places because of who it is, but it didn't matter. I could not see any movie that I wasn't allowed to. I could. I could have, you know, like... Dot snuck around to see it, but I could not see any movie. So the judge didn't want you to see the movie, and you... It's not specific to Malcolm X. I know how you want to make it. (laughs) But there should have been an exception for Malcolm X. Does the judge like Malcolm X? Is he a fan of his works? Or is he like that nigger, a troublemaker? Like... No. No. No to your nigger, a troublemaker. Nigger, nigger. Not known to Malcolm X. Well, I got no to Nigra is funny. Let me tell you why. <laughs> no, Nigra's hilarious. Because they do, they do Negro and then they do nigger, but in the middle, there's Nigra. <laughs> and they say Nigra. Hold on for a second. Hold Nigra's on. Nigra is hilarious. I always <laughs> will agree. Nigra has always been funny to me. Uh, Nigra troublemaker. I'm putting that up. Um, Anyway, okay, so you couldn't watch that. You did. You did. (laughs) You couldn't watch that. So, what what other movies are long? Titanic. That's the one that probably the longest that I've seen. Gone with the Wind too, but there's no way I sat through that whole movie. Yeah, who's gonna watch Gone with the Wind like that? I've seen it. You've seen it, but in pieces. But Titanic, I sat through and watched the whole thing. I didn't even realize it was a three hour movie. Over three hour. The Green Miles over three hours. Have you seen Malcolm X? Yeah, I've seen seen Malcolm X. When did you watch it? Is that one of the movies that you like? College. Okay. So you watched it and you... I saw a lot of black... That's when I got back into my... Go ahead. So so I couldn't watch Radar movies until I was 17. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, it was like, oh, now I can watch all these movies. I wanted to start with black movies because there were so many that I couldn't see. You know that like there were shows I couldn't watch too. A lot. Do you know that like Emmanuel Acho said that he didn't realize that he was black until he got to college? That's not me. I'm just asking. No, I said I could not watch movies. And what? And the what first movies did I want to watch? Black movies. I didn't say I didn't feel black because I couldn't watch movies or whatever he said. So you got to college and it was like, yo, go. I'm having a Rachel Lindsay Film Fest tonight. First up. 
uh, first of all, we're going to do TV first. We're going to do Living Single. And then after we do Living Single, we're moving on. We're going to do X, Harlem Nights. And we're just going to catch up. I could watch Friday. Living Single. When did you see Friday? Didn't Friday come out probably when I was 17? Friday right came out in 95, I think. Oh, I feel like I saw that fairly So your dad soon. let you watch Friday. No, I didn't watch not... Friday. I'm just saying it was one of the movies I watched quickly when I was of age. I was a really good kid. So I, I whatever whatever the, the judge said, I did. Oh, I fuck with the judge. I'm, I'm teasing you, but... No, I know. I, I, know. I, fuck, I fuck with the judge, though, because... I was, like, scared of the wrath of God. Because you was going to watch that shit and the judge was going to know. <laughs> Joseph, you gonna say something? Joseph's gonna be like, "I was really." You've been watching them low bottom. You've been watching them low scared. bottom nigga movies, huh? I was really scared. Like, watching I remember that nigga trash. when my parents found, um, gosh, what year? It was like Puff Daddy and the Family. It was. What else did they find? My sister's CDs. I remember them throwing them out. What else came wrong around that time? I just see they hit him. So they hit him in the closet. Oh, they took him and they hit him, and I found them. I remember that. Puff Daddy in the family. <laughs> yeah. The dad's like, get this devil music out of here. <laughs> Puffing in the daddy. In. The only dad is Jesus. That's my father. I was scared. <laughs> Puff Daddy in the family. That's that, no way out. That album is crazy it good, was. bro. <laughs> is this the end? Is this the end? Um, Puff Daddy and the Family musical group. Yeah, uh, that's the CD. That's I remember the cover. I love that a hundred percent was. I no thought, way out was crazy. I said, "Oh my gosh, Casas got in trouble." She got in trouble because of Puff Daddy and the Family. <laughs> she, she she wasn't. It was an explicit CD. Explicit CD. So all the CDs that were explicit, you couldn't listen to them either. So no Tupac, no that. But you're also a lot younger than me. So a lot of that stuff. By the time you got, so you became of age. In the late nine, well, no, in the 2000s. In the 2000s. But I remember my sister taking me to the CD store and trading in my country CDs. Wait, he listened, to, he let you listen to that? Oh, but it didn't have the parental advisory. No, no, no. But I remember distinctly going in and I was of it. So she must have been sneaking behind my parents back to do it. Took me and I like traded in my country CDs for, um, it was a Hot Boys Guerrilla Warfare. That's what I'm talking about. I got... Girl, you right up. Um, The Blueprint. Mm-hmm. And I got something else. I can't remember. You know that story... So the, I, I know every song on those because I listened to them. That's all I had over and over again. There's a show on Amazon. It's called The Year I Turned Pretty. We're going to do a show about you called The Year I Turned Black. We're going to do what? Because that implies I was not black before. Black, call you it, got black earth. So, so, call it the year I I found the culture. So how about this? The year I found the culture. The year I became a nigger. <laughs> nigger. <laughs> nigger. <laughs> you watch all of these old movies, niggers. <laughs> The Negras. Negra is somehow, somehow worse. <laughs> it's so Have y'all heard Negra? In the Chloe, have you heard Negra? You never heard Negra before? Have y'all heard Negra in the room? Chloe, Chloe, jump on. I've never heard that. That's first time. You've never heard Negra? You never heard Negra? Chloe, say Negra. Negra. <laughs> Negra. Donna, you ever heard Negra before? Yeah, but not in like real life. 
on movies. Only on movies TV. Yeah. Stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nigra. Nigra. I can't even find like a I'm looking at Nigra. Nick, so you got Nigra, black people, and then you, it goes to different types of stuff. Um, so you saw Barbie. Uh, we're going to talk about the boxing match that happened this weekend. Tough stuff. Tough, tough, tough. It really was. Tough stuff for Dallas. Um, but before we dispense with the pleasantries and get into the show, we have a great show today. We have Jewel Taylor, the writer and director of They Clone Tyrone, a movie that we both loved, mm-hmm. coming on the show a little bit later. We're going to ask him a lot of questions, including, it's going to flip it. What if They Clone Tyrone was all white? What if They Clone Travis was the movie? Who would he cast? It's <laughs> a good answer for that. Um, there was a really disturbing and sad trio of lives lost here recently. First, um, a singer and a very important voice of social protest and change, Sinead O'Connor passed away mm-hmm. at age 56. Uh, I was a kid. I was actually watching live on Saturday Night Live when Sinead O'Connor oh. ripped the uh, picture of the Pope. I didn't know what was going on. Sure. Um, but, you know, I was up watching Saturday Night Live. I had known her. And that was one of the first times in my young life that I saw a firestorm around like one specific thing that someone had done. And I realized that there were things that you could do or people that you could uh, call out or criticize to where it would really negatively affect your career because she was everywhere at one point and then she was nowhere after right. that. Um, not that she went anywhere, but as far as her... Uh, presence in pop music and pop culture, mm-hmm. it was significantly affected yeah. by the stand that she took. And later on, she took stands in many different things. Right. She converted to Islam and talked extensively about what's going on in Palestine. She never, never hesitated to use her voice. That was very sad. And then this morning, back to back, two shocking deaths. One, um, Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman, who was a staple in my youth. It's it's uh, not just from the show, but from Big Top Pee Wee, from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and just, you know, all over the place. The guy was almost omnipresent in my youth, a fantastic performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pee Wee Herman character, uh, like, almost is one of those things that, like, signifies youth for me, um, in a way. Uh, he passed away, and I think... Something right now that the younger people and a lot of fans are are reeling from is uh, Angus, who's from Euphoria. He passed away today. Yeah. And it is absolutely shocking, like really destructive to a lot of kids of that age that watch that show or just people that are fans of the show, Angus Cloud, having passed away, uh, cause of death still not understood. The other two people that we've talked about, we lost them, um, I think, to cancer. But Angus is only 25 years old, and I know that's somebody that you've met and talked with before. Sinead O'Connor was to cancer? I'm pretty sure it was. Oh. Um, yeah, no, when I... Well, First, I'll, I'll start with Sinead O'Connor. Um, 
It's interesting you talk about watching that on Saturday Night Live and what that did to her popularity and not popularity, but maybe more so the perception of her. And a lot of people were talking about how, because one of the things she's been outspoken on too is mental health and her struggles. And really- Let me, let me jump in. She was, it doesn't seem like it was the cancer. It's saying that there's been no cause of death Indicated. I don't know where I got that from. I apologize. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but one of the things she's talked about a lot is about mental health and her struggles. She's been vocal on social. She's been vocal in interviews. Um, we know that she was struggling. It had been a year, just a little over the year, a year um, to the date, her passing from her son's passing, who was very cl- she was very close with. And in reference to that Saturday Night Live performance, a lot of people have discussed that if that had happened today it would have been perceived totally different than it would have today. And it just shows where we've come in a society in regards to, you know, mental health or, you know, calling out certain systems uh, or powers that be. But, you know, I just want to touch on with her that she was, for a lot of people, a, a voice towards mental health and struggles and normalizing speaking out about that, mm-hmm. um, in addition to her many talents. Um Pee Wee Herman, this won't shock anyone, I'm not as familiar with. Obviously, I know who he is because he's iconic, but I never really watched anything with Pee Wee Herman as a kid. But I know he meant a lot to a lot of people and shaped a lot of people's childhoods. Angus, I walked in and you were telling me, right as I walked in to start this podcast, you were telling me that Angus passed away. 25. I, I, that is... Like you said, devastating for a whole generation, just in general, just somebody so young lost their life. We don't know the story behind it. It doesn't matter. It's just such a tragedy. But yeah, I have been around Angus um, at a concert. We were like all together and he was so nice, so warm, so disarming, so just like he didn't know me from anyone engaging in conversation, asking questions. We had like such a good time. And I remember I walked away like, you're such a star, but you don't present yourself in that way at all. Just like a, a normal person enjoying the show like we all were. And, you know, like I really I took pictures and everything. Um, just like a really from that brief encounter or that moment that that evening, he was just a really, really nice guy. And my heart goes out to everyone who's impacted by these losses. Um, and, you know, we're thinking of you guys. And I don't know what is happening. I know somebody who has lost their grandmother. I know somebody who just lost their mom. I know somebody who just lost their dad. I'm talking like all in the last 72 hours. I don't know what is happening, but for anybody else who's lost someone who we didn't name, just, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm thinking of you and stay strong. There's a lot of death going on right now. It's tough. Everybody take breaks. Um, I know specifically with uh, a lot of the youth um, who really, really have connected with you, Euphoria, that this was a beloved character and a beloved actor. So, you know, I just want everyone to take breaks. I know that grief is um, an un... just a, an unstoppable monster. And you, it doesn't really get easy, so easier. So, um, at least that's been my experience. So just everyone kind of let yourself feel, 
but make sure that you don't internalize every single thing that's happening all at once because then you can overwhelm yourself. Um, and look, of all of the people that we talked about, particularly Paul Rubens and Sinead O'Connor, they lived uh, lives where they weren't without controversy. So I'm sure, I think Pee Wee was the fucking man, but Sinead was very political. So I'm sure there are going to be people out there that uh, have things to say that aren't so, aren't as glowing, should I say, as what we just did. But Mm -hmm. um, I thought Sinead O'Connor was a fantastic talent. And from my childhood, she represented somebody who exemplified uh, going against the grain and using your voice for things um, uh, that are central to who you are. So um, rest in peace to all three of those people. We are going to get into the show now. We're going to have Jewel Taylor later on. They clone Tyrone is the movie. Uh, you like that movie. I loved it. I want you to rank the three films. Well, you can't rank them because you didn't see Oppenheimer. Well, I'll do one and two. One they and two. clone Tyrone one, by a landslide. By a landslide. Barbie, and Barbie. Barbie too. Give Barbie a grade. An A. Minus. You give it an A minus. So give it an A minus. So you, you, you loved it. I really it. did you like the movie. just didn't think it was fantastic. I just don't. I don't know what I was... Ex- I ex- just expected to be blown away. That's the problem when the expectations are so high. That's why you got to go see the movie first week. That's... You know what? You're right. Yeah. Gotta go uh, see the movie right. first week. Gotta see the movie. But they closed Tyrone A+. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Trump, superseding indictment on the other side of this. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. You know, I've been watching a lot of stuff about Ron DeSantis. Um, I'm a DeSantis head. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's, uh, he's very funny. Is he funny to you? Yeah. Funnier than Trump? No, he's not funny in a ha-ha way. He's funny in a, damn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I watched Ron DeSantis uh, with Megyn Kelly. Did you see this exchange? I did not watch the interview. So, Megyn Kelly is on DeSantis's ass. I, yes, I saw that she was doing this. You know what I mean? And I just thought, he's, they're kicking his ass. And he doesn't get it. He It's just so, it's hilarious, though. But he, he doesn't get it. Well, He's, I don't think he gets. He tries it. to do his his thing, but it's very funny. Yeah, it's very funny to me, and I think he's the guy right now. And second, and I'm like, things are getting increasingly more precarious on the right. He's the guy in second who everybody is flaying him wherever he goes, whether it's a home game or a away game. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is facing additional charges in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. So federal indictment was filed in the Southern District of Florida, alleges that Trump was part of a scheme to delete security video. And there is a newly charged defendant here who was identified as a property manager at Mar-a-Lago. So another employee that the boss wanted the server deleted. That employee is Carlos de Oliveira, who was a maintenance supervisor at Mar-a-Lago. He was charged on Thursday. The indictment lies out, lays out what federal authorities say um, was an obstruction scheme. Trump was very focused on not allowing officials to get their hands on his boxes. So this is after the government has asked for these boxes. This is after they know that um, Trump knows that the government wants these boxes back. 
And it's not just slow rolling the government and deciding which boxes to send back and which boxes to not send back. This is uh, alleging that Trump uh, ordered people around Mar-a-Lago to destroy different shit and do all kinds of different shit, delete security video, and obstruct justice. This is a new person indicted here, Carlos de Oliveira. Yeah. So that's just another person that the government could potentially flip. No, it's not a matter of if, it's when. Oh, you think this guy's going to flip for sure? Why? So this guy's going to go to jail for all these years for Trump? How many years is he looking at? I don't know. Okay. Double digits. Right. For Trump, mm-hmm. I just don't see that happening. This is like a save yourself situation at this point. And I think that's the exact tactic that the prosecution is going to bank on. And that's why, well, not that's not why. I mean, it's because he did something illegal, but I, that's exactly what their plan of action is going to be. You don't think so? You think they're going to have a hard, a tough time maybe? Um, It depends on how far this guy's in the Trump world. I mean, he's, I, I expected Walt Nada to at least consider flipping. And it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I know that guy is a lot closer to Trump. This gentleman right here looks like he was just a maintenance supervisor at Mar-a-Lago. But I have to wonder if gentlemen like this are scared, if people are afraid at this particular point to flip on Trump, because, I mean, it hasn't really... Trump has made political enemies in the past, uh, Michael Cohen, whomever. um, And it hasn't been that bad for those people. Mm -hmm. But... I do feel like the level of crazy has been ratcheted up to a point to where some of these people, I mean, the president out and out, the the former president out and out threatens people. He threatens Jack Smith. He threatens uh, the country. He says, if I'm indicted, or excuse me, not if I'm indicted, if I'm convicted, then there are going to be a lot of angry people out there that are going to do a lot of, you know, crazy things. He makes vague threats all the time. So I wonder if people like this are afraid to testify against Donald Trump. So, you know. Well, which is, it's like, what do you fear more? Years and years in prison? Mm-hmm. And ex- and what do you expect? That Trump's going to be there when you get out? Yeah. He's, he's going to take care of you? He's going to take care of your family? Or do you fear Trump? That's what it's going to come down to. Because he potentially, I mean, they've got him literally hiding the stuff. I think he stands to go away for a really long time if he's convicted of this. Yeah. Obstruction, and, all that kind of the, crap. Yeah, so I just, I see him talking. I really see him talking. I really see him saving himself at this point. Um, So that's a little bit of trouble for, a little bit more trouble for Donald Trump. There's stuff going on in Georgia. Can uh, I ask you this? What's up? What's up? So it seems like every day, it's like another day, another Trump indictment. Trump, 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 Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. Um... Breaking news, Trump's going to be indicted. Oh, they're, they've sent a letter to Trump and the indictment might come this week. Mm-hmm. There's either an actual indictment, there's a threat of the indictment, there's a new charge, there's a superseding charge, indictment. Like we just, it always just seems to be something. Do you think that the indictments are losing their impact? Do oh. you think they're making an impact at all? Do you think that people are taking it less serious? Do you think this is adding to the whole... Well, they're just looking for anything. I'm not saying that Trump is that there's obviously probable cause to be charging Trump in 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 each case, but do you think that it's just becoming so much that it's playing into the whole Republican theory or that side of the Republicans where they're like 
They're just looking for anything to throw at Trump. Do you feel like it's becoming less effective? So, sorry, that was a lot of questions that I threw. No, I get you it. Get no, me. it's cool. So, the most important answer to that question for me is that it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Well, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because I personally don't think that the um the goal of indicting Donald Trump should be to affect a political election, right? Or to, to uh, sully his reputation. So whether or not the di- indictments are losing their effect or not, I mean, I think the purpose of the indictment is to uh, bring Donald Trump to justice for things that he might have done that are illegal. So that should be the effect. If there's a political effect that comes secondarily to that, then that just kind of is what it is. You can't Correct. not indict Donald Trump because you think it's going to affect his political chances and you shouldn't be indicting Doc, Donald Trump because you think it's going to affect his political chances. So as far as whether or not people still care, what I think is there is a sliver of people that are going to be swayed by how electable they think Donald Trump is when they decide to vote. So there's the diehard Donald Trump people, right? Mm-hmm that are going to vote for him um, even if he's caught having sex with an underage UFO. You know what I mean? Uh, underage alien. They're, 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 those people right there, you can't change them. He's the second coming of Christ. But there are people to me that are maybe less dedicated to that or um, sort of less religious about who Donald Trump is that I think are affected by how much smoke is around him. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that can kind of turn the election. The question is, do they have a viable second candidate? And the more DeSantis shits the bed, and the smaller the pie is for everyone else, meaning there's so many people right now in the Republican field that there's not a lot of opportunity for there to be another real threat at this point besides Trump. I mean, Vivek is in third, I think, right now. And, you know, you have Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Larry Elder and the rest of these people that are sh- and not even in shouting distance of it. Mm-hmm. And this is all before any debates, right. before any primaries. Um, there's a ways less to, left to go to get here. Uh, but I think the fact that Trump is the only viable candidate might make some people stick by him that maybe didn't before. Yeah. But I do not think that Donald Trump is electable in a general election in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think that Ron DeSantis either is either. I personally cannot see how a party that is normally so good at clear messaging, clear oppo tactics, and a direct line to their constituency is fucking up on a national scale this badly. I just think they've just gone too far. I really think that that's what it is. Because, you know, there's an argument to be made that DeSantis had it in the bag, but then he positioned himself on the far right side, the other side of Trump. And I think that they've just gone to a point of no return where they're even splitting their party. That's what's happening. You talk about clear messaging and them being on the same page. They had that. But now you have a sector of them that are just going so far that the other side can't even, like, not that it made sense or was logical all the time anyway, but it's too much to where they can't even, like, I'll just use the slavery. You have Republic, even Tim Scott. Not even, not just Tim Scott. 
Byron Donald's. By, by, like yes. the whole. Yes. You, like, see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's going too far where it's like, listen, we can't even, we can't even agree with you on that. You know, you know what? <laughs> you know what Ron DeSantis really did? Ron DeSantis has all of his black Republicans in the room. And the slavery thing was like him saying the N-word. He thought that he was that cool with them that there was just no level that he could go to where they wouldn't be like, hi, bro, chill. <laughs> you know, that's the, always the problem sometimes when you got the cool white boy in the room with you or the white boy that's a part of the clique in the room. It's like... They always they, go too they far. They always go too far. And with DeSantis, he had done a lot of shit and they were kind of dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He had bought the FUBU shirt. He had done <laughs> all of this other stuff. To, but yeah, and they, they were going, they were like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's cool. And then slavery, saying that that was cool, was tantamount to basically saying that these are my niggas. Yeah. Tim Scott and Byron Donald. Niggas. Niggas. These are my niggas. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see that those guys who have really not stood in the gap in any way. I mean, Kim Daniels was first. It was interesting to see that they all went, nah, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's too much. And that was just a really important rebuke from them because it was the first time that I've seen those guys who don't deserve any credit for for this. <laughs> yeah, like, um, this it was the first the time I've seen them kind of stand up to the rhetoric of the far right. So there is a limit and a level that it seems like they won't go to. Now it's Or is it because it was DeSantis? That's the question. Yes. Had the, Donald Trump... Exactly. I do not think so. You don't? Not from Tim. So you think that if Donald Trump... Because Donald has said something before in relation to black people, and I cannot think of what it was, and Tim Scott didn't take a hard stance like he did with the edge of the benefits of slavery. Let's stay on the benefits of slavery thing. Okay. Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, uh, these guys are guys who I feel like have Trump's running mate in their, uh, in their imagination. I think these guys want to run with Donald Trump. Oh, actually, Byron too? Yes, for sure. Okay. I think these guys want to run with Donald Trump. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't really do a lot to them politically to come out against Ron DeSantis. I think it actually probably helps them with... If with they want Trump, it does. Curry, to curry favor with Trump. You're saying you think that had Trump done this whole benefits of slavery thing, because this is not just a statement. This is actually in the curriculum down there in Florida. So this is a material change. You feel Mm -hmm. like if Trump had done something like this, that these guys... It's hard to say because I haven't really seen Tim Scott do that yet. He has. Tim Scott, I I don't want to be... He has pushed back on Donald Trump uh, with some stuff. Like a little... Like a little poke. There's stuff that he's done that he hasn't... That he hasn't... But a lot... But but, but you are seeing this with a lot of people, you know. Take out like a a Will Hurd or a Chris Christie, but a lot of them have been afraid. You know, they'll say, well, I would pardon Trump, you know, if if I was president. Or, you know, they're still backing Donald Trump. And I'm... I... It's hard to say that Tim Scott wouldn't do the same. I don't know what he would do. But the track record makes me feel like he would not have taken as hard of a stance because they, there still seems to be some fear when it comes to Donald Trump. Uh, there is some breaking news surrounding the Hunter Biden probe. Did they, did they finally get the agreement together? No, this is something oh. else. There's oh. a gentleman by the name of Devin Archer who told the House Oversight Committee on Monday that his former business partner, 
Hunter Biden, was selling the illusion of access to his father. This is according to a source familiar with, with the closed-door interview. He testified um, to them uh, that uh, this is part of the probe into Hunter Biden, uh, that Hunter Biden at least in part intimated that access to, to Joe Biden was a part of some of his overseas dealings. Um, there is also um, uh, the assertion that at points that Joe Biden was on speakerphone during meetings that Hunter Biden was having with people and talking with them. Of course, if you know what's going on with Hunter Biden, the whole thing in, uh, this was, of course, when Joe Biden was vice president, the whole thing uh, about Hunter Biden's influence peddling um, is not necessarily Hunter Biden himself. It's like whether or not his father was involved in any of this stuff while he was the vice president and whether or not Biden was using his um, power as the vice president to enrich his son or enrich businesses that are connected to the family. Devin Archer is a gentleman who has his own legal troubles. He was convicted of federal tax charges in 2018 as part of a conspiracy to defraud a Native American tribe. The, con- the tribe, the conviction was overturned, reinstated, and appealed. He is re- re- expected to report to prison in the coming months to serve a one-year sentence on that. So there's some thought here that he is trying to curry a little favor here, talking to people, but he was a business associate of Hunter Biden's who now, uh, depending on who you listen to, because the reporting on this I'm looking at CNN right now, and CNN is reporting that Hunter Biden was selling the illusion of access to his father. If you go to— He was under the web? That he was selling the illusion of access oh. to his father. Um, uh, and if you go a little bit further to the right in the reporting, then what they're going to say is that this testimony is a smoking gun and that the fact that Joe Biden might have in any way— knew about the communications or been there at the communications um, is evidence of his direct knowledge to Hunter Biden's influence peddling. And that means that Joe Biden knew what was going on. And because he knew what was going on, that means that Joe Biden is sometime, somehow criminally responsible. And this the, the, the end of the road here is impeachment. The end of the road here is trying to get enough on Biden where they can impeach him. Uh, uh, of course, um, people on the left here say that this is an incredible waste of time, that, uh, there is no reason to believe that Joe Biden is involved in this in any way. Uh, but uh, other people think that this is the nail in the coffin, but this is a witness. Have we not been here before? I mean, look, I, I, look, I, I personally, I personally I'm not interested in anything other than the truth. You know, uh, James Comer, who is chairman of the House Oversight Committee, said that Archer's testimony reaffirms questions about Joe Biden's knowledge of his son's foreign business dealings and shows that the president was not being truthful in his previous denials. We should remember that when asked about this, Joe Biden has said, I knew nothing of what my son was doing. And that is an incredibly high standard because that means if you knew anything, then you Mm -hmm. lied. So... Comer says when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, he joined Hunter Biden's dinners with his foreign business associates in person or by speakerphone over 20 times. And so the question is, what does no mean? Does no, does knowing means 
that you know he did business? Did you know the way that he was doing business? What does it mean? Um, so Archer saying that they were, that he joined these business dinners and he was there in person or by speakerphone over 20 times, they think is a smoking gun. So that's so everyone knows. That's so we're not reporting on the, pro- the trouble that Trump is in and not reporting on the fact that Joe Biden might be in um, and things that he might have done when he was vice president. We'll find out what's going on here at Higher Learning. We'll get to the bottom of this. But I will say this. I personally think, if I'm being real about this, that the right has an incredibly, an incredibly important task ahead of them. Okay. They have to nail Joe Biden's ass to the wall. Because if not, they are spending a hell of a lot of time not governing. They're spending a hell of a lot of time on this instead of doing the business of the American people. Yeah. And look, that's kind of uh, indicative of the times that we live in, but it seems like they're more fixated on Hunter Biden than anything else. And at times, to be real with you, it seems like the left is more fixated on Donald Trump than anything else. And sometimes I ask the question, while we're while both of these sides are pissing on each other, like who's really thinking about the American people? It's a great question to ask. Neither. Neither? <laughs> I mean, the way you pose it right there, you're right. I mean, I could see the argument on both sides, but I don't know. I said it before. I'm so tired of of um of Hunter. Hunter. You're tired of Hunter? I'm tired of Hunter. I'm tired of his naked body. I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of Hunter. I, that's why I asked the question about the way people feel about hearing, constantly hearing about the Trump indictments. I, it, it's going to be an interesting 2024. It's going to be an interesting I gotta 2024. I got to be honest with you. I fuck with Hunter Biden. Good for you. I, I, In I, what I, way? I, I mean, look, what is Hunter Biden supposed to do? His dad's the vice president. He's trying to get money. Of course, you're going to be like, yo, my dad is the vice president. There's Everybody no, that has a problem. There's no doubt that he did Everybody that. Has, <laughs> Everybody that has a problem with Hunter Biden, man, y'all use y'all homie's name to get into the club. And you should. Y'all use, y'all do all kinds of stuff, And bro. you should. I, I once saw the guy that fucking cut Kanye's hair try to use that to get at girls at the den. Why not? You know what I mean? Like, no, at, not at the den, at the parlor. He's like, yeah, Kanye, one of my clients. I'm like, really? You're going to use the fact that you cut Kanye's Bet it worked. hair Bet it's worked. to try to fuck these girls? Bet it's worked. That's sad. That's sad on the part of the women. Of course it is. Do you think that there are women out there that would fuck the guy that cuts Kanye's hair? I know them. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? Proximity is a real thing. (laughs) U.S. economy. It's doing well. Scanning steam. Talking about Joe Biden here. Whether or not he knew about what Hunter Biden is doing is one thing, but the economy is growing at a 2.4% rate in the second quarter. Surprisingly strong showing that adds confidence to the idea that the nation might avoid a recession. That's huge. If they go into recession before this election, 
I said I was exhausted about talking about Hunter Biden. That is exactly all we will be talking about. That's the worst thing that could happen for Biden and the Democrats going into 2024. Inflation is slowing and unemployment sits at just 3.6%. Um, all, obviously, all great news for President Biden that the economy is getting a little bit more robust. I do think that there is still a gap in these numbers and what they're showing in terms of the data and what people are actually feeling in their daily lives. But the math always comes first. And then, you know, when the buying season in the fall comes, you'll be able to kind of see more quarter and all of that stuff. Yeah, some people are saying these numbers are, you know. Frugazy? A little inflated. Like I was reading one thing that said, well, really, it's not that there have been 13 million jobs that were added. It's 2 million jobs and the 11 million jobs were lost or post like kind of pushed to the side during the pandemic and people just got those jobs back. You know what you new jobs. You know what you can't deny, though? What? Progress. You can from from the pandemic. Yeah, you can look at different levels of progress and different rates of progress. But what you can't deny, though, is that the economy is righting itself, okay? And while people are pointing at other things that are going on mm-hmm. with the Biden administration, and while I, while I still have big issues with some of the things that were said to, that were going to happen, I have to say this in a real way. Biden's doing a good job. So Bidenomics is working for you. Oh, well, Bidenomics, Reaganomics, Niganomics, whatever. Like, well, they're it, not the same. It's, it's, like, it, it, it ain't I'm just saying, it's not Reaganomics, but I'm just saying, like, I don't like, oh, this is how big my dick is. I'm the president of the economy. No, like, what I'm telling you is that uh, you, you're, it's fair to give credit to a robust economy or a growing economy to the administration um, that's, in, uh, that's in power. And looking at that, it's so funny watching Maria Bartiromo and the rest of these people report this stuff on Fox because it pains them to report it that the country is actually doing well. And that's how better. polarized things is better. Better. You're right. Better. So look, CHIPS Act, a lot of things out there that um, infrastructure put a lot of money back into to, to American cities all over the place, all over the country, should I say. Uh, things are, are are not terrible. Things are getting a little bit better. And that's something that as Americans we should be actually happy about. But depending on what side of the aisle you're on, people aren't that fucking you know, like thrilled about well, it. Well, people aren't also paying attention to it. It's getting lost in the, the hoopla of talking about all these other things. So it is important to bring it up that, you know, things are slowly moving in the right direction. All right, let's talk about something that happened here. Um... There's a gentleman named Jonathan Ventura. Uh, he His username is Jonathan uh, Does Comedy. And which makes me think that this video isn't real. I thought that, but then I watched the video. It's, it's like not towards anything else he does. It doesn't relate to any of his other content. Don't do that. Keep going. Because I sent this video to all my single girls. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> I did. I sent it to everybody. Okay, so apparently this gentleman was going on a first date and he got ghosted. All right, they didn't, the, the date didn't show up. Uh, Donnie, run the audio here, this vulnerable young man. So I just left a restaurant after waiting 30 minutes for a date to show up and apparently I got stood up. I don't know what to say. Like I'm trying to do everything right to be a gentleman. I brought flowers. 
I've been consistent talking with this girl for two weeks, trying to get to know what she likes, what she doesn't like. I made plans. I picked the restaurant, the day and the time. You know, I've done everything to be just the kind of guy that would value somebody's time. Like, I just, I'm just looking for my person. I'm just looking for the one that, I guess, is out there for me. I mean, I want to be somebody's husband someday, father. I'm trying to do everything that's right, and I just get stood up. Like, my feelings didn't even matter. Sitting there eating a meal by myself, and realizing that nobody even cares. I don't want to do the topic. I don't want to do it. It shouldn't be this hard to find somebody. Advance one of them. It shouldn't be this difficult to fall in love. To be kind one another. What? Ladies, tell me. What did I do wrong? No, no. I don't want to cover it. Because he's talking to people like you. Wait a second. I sent this to all my single girlfriends. Okay, wait a second. In and out of state. Wait a second. Okay. So, I have some questions. First of all, why did you send this to all your girls in and out of state? Because I... Dating is really hard, right? It is tough right now. Whether it's Mm. on the apps, whether it's in person. And I hear a lot of horror stories from my single girlfriend. Horror stories? Horror, just like... The things that these dudes say to them, it's wild. It's just... You, you hear a lot of horror stories. Horror. Horror. Sorry. Get okay. that second roar. I thought that was obvious. You, you, see, you, you I, probably got some horror stories from them too. Hey. <laughs> proximity. Proximity. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, horror stories. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who will talk to... Basically what he explained, I have a lot of girlfriends that go through that. They'll have these... Com- I can't have a serious conversation with you. I can't have a serious... This is real. I mean, dating is really hard. I was having this conversation with another girlfriend who is with someone recently. It's just about how it's a jungle out there. And, Van, I'm going to look... I'm going to look... I'm going to talk to y'all. I'm listening to what you're I'm going to talk to y'all because I can't have... I can't have an honest conversation with this man right here. I'm the way... Listen... My girlfriends will say how they'll have conversations with guys full out, back and forth, back and forth. Guys will just disappear. Or they'll go on dates with the guys. The guys will just disappear. Or it's just, it's just so sad. They're putting themselves out there. They're really trying. They're putting, throwing whatever lists they have away. They're, they're putting whatever ex- certain expectations they have. You know, they don't compromise on their morals and values, but they're, they want to find the, their, their significant other. And they go through situations like this young man right here. And you, Van Lathan Jr., mm-hmm. think it's funny. First of you all, think it's funny to laugh at the expense of the lonely. First of all, no, I don't. What do the all, lonely do? Let's just be real. <laughs> I've been lonely. And so I notice. I do have questions, though. Go ahead. Okay. I have questions. I've been lonely. I empathize with this gentleman. I wonder why I post the video, which I do think is a comedy video. I do think he's he's supposed to... If his name wasn't comedy, would you have thought it was a comedy video? I I think it's comedy. But if it wasn't, if that wasn't (sighs) in his name, would you think that? So he got there and the date never showed up. Yeah. Now, my only question is he only waited 30 minutes. That's not a long time. That's what he said, I thought. Well, he had to wait longer than that. Because he said he ate a meal. He ate the meal by himself. So my thing is, so your date doesn't show up and you go, <laughs> I'm a year. 
Fuck it, I'm hungry. I would do the same thing. Would you now? I would. So to, I got all dressed to, to up. Me, to me, you either, because you can make lemons, right? You can make lemonade, which is eating the meal by yourself. Hey, I'm on a nice little, but you can't come out the restaurant with a full stomach and still be. And, a, and an empty heart. You can't be A full still, stomach and an empty heart. At, at a certain point, you got to charge it to the game. You, you can't have the full stomach and then still be upset like you about to cry. What way are you empathizing with this man? I, he ate a whole meal by himself and he was supposed to be first, enjoying the accompaniment of somebody else. He ate, a, he ate a meal by himself, right? He ate a meal by himself, okay? He's by himself eating the meal. We, so we after, he's, after he gets up from having eaten the fucking meal, he goes outside and he makes a video with a full stomach the endorphins from the meal still happening, I think it's cap. I don't think it's real. Have you I never think- worked yourself up in a, to a situation? Have you ever been like, chill, something happens and it doesn't go the way that you want and like you're good and then you just keep thinking about it? No. And you keep thinking about it? No. Me, This happens to me. I know it I happens to you. And I get angrier and no. angrier and I'm like, you know what? And then, it, and that happens. This easily could have been. Let me tell you me. something. When I was going through my fat, lonely stage to where I was shit on by women, big time, okay? When I was going through that, if I got a meal, I was good. I go to the Bennigan's and I get. Not Bennigan's. Yeah, I go to, I get the fucking uh, loaded baked potato. I get the fries. I get the goddamn chicken tenders. And I get the the uh, the brownie with the ice cream. After that, you can't tell me shit. I don't believe this guy took himself on a date, which is what happened, and then went outside and just started crying because the date didn't show up. And, and by, there's nothing wrong with it. I wonder why people make these videos, though. I really do. Make these videos talking about this is this is this nigga trying to get some pussy. Well, that could be. I'm it, just being for real. Like this I'm is not that guy. That that's not. The case. This guy right now probably got a DM DMs full of women it went, that are like Kiki Palmer posted about it. See what I'm saying? No, but listen, listen, listen. I just think this, it, like, I think this is emotionally really, a little bit manipulative by this dude. No, people do, do this. We don't do this. Like I, I'm like you. I don't understand when people get on social media and they cry. I don't understand when people like pour out their hearts in that kind of way. But I mean, I've cried on social media before, but it was like over some like social injustice, something that I was frustrated about and speaking on. But Mm -hmm. I do think there's a sector of people on social media who do this. I have girlfriends who have shown themselves crying or reveal every little intimate detail about their life to their followers. They do this on YouTube. They do this on their stories. They do this in real, whatever it may be. That might be what he's doing here. But I, I don't know. This really Look. spoke to me. My heart just, and maybe because I really, as of late, have been hearing these type of stories. So when he posted it, I was like. I, don't, I think this is Cap. I don't think that this ever happened. You're heartless. I, I'll just be honest with you. First of all, I have definitely shown emotion on stuff. I cried on the Ringerverse one time. We were all talking about best moments. And it was a father and son moment, and I and I started to cry. I've gotten emotional. It's a true thing. I just don't believe that this guy, especially after he said he ate the meal, this guy took the time to order. He's like, like the the waiter comes by. He's like, yo, I would like uh, the steak, medium, fries, whatever, 
I get the whole thing. He eats the meal the whole time. He's probably looking at his phone while he's eating the meal. He leaves and then he goes, you know what? I'm going to tell the world about how I got stood up. First of all, I don't have enough faith in men to believe that this dude is, is that this really happened to him. First of all, he's, and that's why, and that's his problem. It's Jonathan does comedy. Number one. And that video is hilarious. I don't care what y'all say. And then number two, I think that he is, this is game. This guy is the sickest fucking pimp in the world, bro. <laughs> Stop. This is game. I'm telling you this is game. I'm telling you this is game. In two weeks when this nigga is at Andrew Tate's house, I don't want to hear nothing from nobody. This is game. Donnie, Donnie, am I, am I tripping? No, I feel you on the food aspect of it. But I think adding to that, he might have had a few drinks that <laughs> made him get up his feelings in a certain way. And he's like, I'm going to take this to the internet. He think probably did. He probably did. And he was probably sitting there eating that meal thinking, maybe she'll come. Maybe she's running a little bit late. Do you believe him, though? I do. I don't think he's uh, that good of an actor. I've watched some of his Instagram, some of his comedies. And it's funny. He's made me laugh a couple of times. I watched two bits and I laughed twice. But they also don't seem like this. This felt like super authentic. Right. He says he's a down-to-earth guy with CP. With That's CP? Cerebral palsy. Okay. That's how he describes himself. Ah, uh, I see. Damn. That kind of changes things a no, little yeah, bit. No, yeah, keep it. You are heartless. You are cold. I'm not trying to be heartless and, and I'm cold. sure he did get women that would, that replied to him and slid in his DMs after this. But it it goes he just, with he people just, saying it is hard to date in L.A. And people want a specific kind of guy in L.A. You know, that's why the barber who cuts so-and-so's hair can win over a down-to-earth guy. Like Jonathan does comedy? Like Jonathan does comedy. So what? Jonathan does comedy. So what? I don't know, bro. This wasn't even comedy. It was funny, though. It's a lot of people supporting Jonathan does comedy right here. I want to know. I want to know. I'm going to follow him. Which one of you women out there are going to. Which one of you women out there are going to take the challenge here? You know? Like, which one of you women are going to take the challenge here Jonathan for Jonathan Does, does comedy? comedy? I want to. I'm about to invite him onto the podcast. No, I don't, I don't want. I don't want you to embarrass me. I'm gonna embarrass you. I, okay, I just followed him. Hold on. Can you come on our podcast? I gotta. I gotta. I gotta investigate this for myself. I just think you. If you eat the meal, I just feel like. Damn, man. Can you come on our podcast? We'd love to talk Jonathan, don't to do you about what happened. Calls himself the last dope human. And I believe you. The last dope human? That's what his bio says. This fucking guy is self-centered as hell. Oh, delete the message. Nah. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking with Jonathan. Look, I, let, let's bring Jonathan on. Uh... Let's bring Jonathan on. Okay, let's talk to Jonathan. And let's see, because maybe I'm wrong. I hope that I am wrong. I hope that I am wrong. But it, 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 we'll, we'll see. I don't know. 
I don't know. But, you know, if everybody is as, is everybody who is who they say they are, then one of you women needs to step up and suck Jonathan's dick. Like, is somebody, somebody step up and make Jonathan feel good. This is what he deserves. Would you put one of your girls up to getting down with Jonathan? Who can we hook Jonathan up with? Since you're single here? At single here. Since it's this big of a deal, Jonathan's a nice guy. He's got a comedian career. Who could you put Jonathan on with? Because I'm sick of this. I feel for somebody. Man, you know, put the pussy where the mouth is. Like get get like so crude. Like get get okay, get, get with Jonathan. Put your pussy where your mouth is. A single you nominate one as well. There's nobody I know who's single who's gonna fuck, give John who's gonna fuck with Jonathan. I'm not even gonna ask you why. I'm just gonna be honest with you. First of all, I don't know that many single women, but there's not a lot of single women that I know that's gonna fuck with Jonathan. It has nothing to do with like the single women that I know. I gonna be honest with you. They don't respond to stuff like that. And I think that you're going to see that a lot of your friends probably aren't going to respond to Jonathan being that vulnerable. Y'all, I, the vulnerability was pulled out of me. I tried it. I so tr- the women, single women you know don't want a vulnerable guy. They're not going to respond to vulnerability. They would rather... Be single. Nope. If that was Future who made that video. <laughs> okay, well, we just deal with it. I'm different, just saying, it's, it's, I'm just saying, it's in LA. If that was dip- future. And that's why he's saying this is video. a problem. Because the girl, your single friends that you're describing only seem to want somebody with some type of f- fame or celebrity. Not fame or celebrity. They you want, just said future. But you I'm not, named but that's him for not, a reason. That's not fame or celebrity. There's a different thing that future has. It's a swaggy, kids? it's a, it's, future has a lot of kids and that has not stopped any of the ladies from giving Future a there, spin. I do not think Future. You don't, okay, well, I mean, you know, it's like whatever. But what I'm telling you is that, you know, it, Jonathan in the situation that he is showing the vulnerability like that and, Shame showing, on all y'all. and showing the whole Shame situation, on all y'all. I'll be honest with you, I'll need to see somebody step up. I'm over that. I don't need a vulnerable man. Do you know what, I, do, do you know what I had to do in order to get back out there? I had to like, in, in a real way, I had to lose 120 pounds. I lost 120. I, have I ever told you the Yahoo personal story? Mm-mm. This is in the book. This is the Yahoo personal story right here. This is when I realized that all of it's bullshit. Yahoo personal story. Because a lot of people could say, hey, Van, maybe you're not as charming as you think you are or whatever, and that was turning people off. First of all, I, I never not had girls. It was always like women that were interested. It's not, I never did. It's just facts. Oh, so if you okay. ask anybody. Like, I had okay, I won't, but yes, I believe you. But I had to work very, very, very hard at 370 pounds. Sure. Like, I had to work very, very hard. Like, I had no neck. You see Grimace? That was basically me. Who's so Grimace? Grimace is uh, fucking Ron McDonald's friend. Oh, that's what I thought, the McDonald's Right, so that was me. Stop. So I had to work very, very hard. Girls you love know? a funny guy, though. Very funny? Yeah, girl, that it, goes a long way with it women. It worked after a while, but remember... We were also in college, so it was, it, it was, they weren't to the point to where even emotionally people understood what they wanted yet. Everybody had raging hormones and all of that stuff. And it's not that easy to kind of be the guy that I was. Truth. Okay, here's the deal. So I get out to LA. This is a true story. I get out to LA and I don't know anybody. So meeting women is even harder because you're not meeting girls that you're in class with. You're not going to the same parties. And that you were going to in Louisiana. 
you can't get into anything mm-hmm. when you're out here in Los Angeles, right? Um, and so, like, where do you meet people at? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I wasn't having any luck meeting anyone. So I made a Yahoo Personals account, okay? The story is in the book. Like, I made a Yahoo Personals account. And I put the Yahoo Personals account up, and it was me. I took a, a, a shot that I thought had, I was about 350 at this point. I mm-hmm. lost 20 pounds. I was coming down. I took a shot that I thought was very flattering. I put it up there. Yahoo Personals account, looking at it. I come back to it. Nothing. Funny writer, wrote a funny thing, whatever. My writing has taken me places that who I am has never, I'm like, I am being Van on there. I'm checking the account. I'm doing that. Nothing. I'm in LA. Nothing's happening. I stop looking at the account. I get so fucking frustrated with any of it. I stop looking at the account. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to be out here and I'm going to let stuff come to me. I'm going to let it come to me. I'm going to let things come to me. Going out with my friends, hanging out. Just forget about dating. Forget about women. Forget about that stuff. Put this stuff into you. So, I lose weight. I lose weight. I take six, seven months, I lose all the weight. Weight gone. And just for fun, after the weight was gone, I updated the Yahoo Personals account. I I promise you, like, I took a shot of me holding an Oscar. If you read the book, it's in there. You can see the picture. Shot of me holding a bo- holding an Oscar. I'm in great shape. Smile, whole nine, boom. I put that on the Yahoo Personals account. I'm not trying to act like I'm Chris Brown or anybody like that. The fucking Yahoo Personals account starts to blow up. I am not an unhandsome man. The personal it starts to blow up. And you know what I learned from that? It's all bullshit. It's all horseshit. Everybody's attracted to the aesthetic. Sure, your personality matters, but that's after somebody gets to know you. And sometimes it takes a while to break down walls for people if they are not automatically attracted to you. There's nothing wrong with it. Like women started to reach out to me. Women started to get mad at me that I wasn't responding to them on the Yahoo Persons account. I remember one thing that was like, well, why do you even fucking have this if you never even look at it? Like, I'm like, it started to be a thing. And so when I see stuff like that, like empirical evidence, like empirical evidence, that van put this up, maybe five or six people reach out. And I remember I reached out to one girl. And then when I reached out to her, then when she reached back, she was a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I'm not hating on her, <laughs> but she was like, she was like, uh, I was like, hey, how are you? Blah blah. We're going back and forth, and she's like, yeah, you know, kind of what I'm into. You know, it says here that you're a producer. It's like kind of what I'm into is like a cool, discreet, no strings attached relationship. And I was like, that sounds great. I was like, yeah, we just hang out and see where it goes. She's like, yeah, you know, things are tough around here, so I normally take a little bit of money for maintenance monthly. And I was like, oh, and I had been talking to this person for three or four days before they told me that, right? <laughs> and so I, I didn't trip, didn't blame it on anyone. Hey, it's not, it's not the right time. When I changed that picture, my fortunes changed. So all I'm saying is, if you guys really feel bad 
for Jonathan Does Comedy when he made the video on the full belly. Somebody got to get his nigga a shot. You're right. Somebody Cause, does. Because all of the other shit is just lip service. And yeah, I don't feel like people really mean it. Everybody people wants to... or L.A.? When I was back in bad... You have to understand. So, I want to call any names. But there was a girl at Best Buy that I really liked. Oh, yeah. I think you told me about her. Talked about yeah. this. A girl at Best Buy that I really liked. She ended up becoming my girlfriend. Okay. I had to wait for another nigga to get tired of fucking her before she became mm-hmm. my girlfriend. I met her. We hang out. We watch movies. We do the whole thing. We hanging out. We watching movies. Look, I'm, I'm putting her on to new films. We're doing you stuff. You friend zoned yourself. Every, no, I didn't. I did not friend zone myself. I didn't friend zone myself at all. She knew very well what that was you going liked her. on. Okay. Yeah. So like she knew very well what was going on. I remember when this dude came in for his interview. He walked in for his interview. I was like, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I, I, I remember I, I, I was like, that's going to be an issue. Like, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> he walked in there, came in. He was back, working back in the warehouse. The nigga was like swole. He was a kappa. I was like, God damn, that's going to be tough. And me, I'm not a hater. So I'm never going to salt you. I see you. It's the thing. I kind of see them talking. I'm not going to ever be emotional about it. I'm not going to be a hater. She disappears. Six weeks. I knew he wasn't going to be on it. And so I played the shoulder to cry through situation back in there. And she becomes my girlfriend. I looked crazy to all my homies. But I had to be... You played the long game. I played the long game. I played the long game, right? And so what I'm saying is, a lot of these, all of this shit, this shit is cap. And then what happens to me, what, ha- what happens... I can't disagree with What you. happens after a while is after having a 20s of dealing with guys like that, mm-hmm. people get to a point and they go, nobody loves me. And 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 by the of 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 looking at a guy like they get to a point and they go nobody loves me they go I'm here and I've been doing and nobody loves me and it's just hard for me sometimes when I know how it goes sure to like feel a certain way but for Jonathan don't fucking say oh my bad give Jonathan a hand job. You're right. Right. Like, you're like, no, like, take, you're right. Take Jonathan out, buy him food. Be, don't post it, Kiki Palmer. You're seemingly single right now. Go on a date with Jonathan. Like she, you, you don't know if she's single. Though. Well, she might not be, but your emotions aren't going to keep this man warm at night and keep him from getting <laughs> stood up. All right. That's true. Poor Jonathan. I hope he gives us an update about the about somebody else he's dating. Do you want to see the picture? Uh, that was the Yahoo Personals picture. But why'd you have an Oscar with you? It was a fake you, Oscar. They don't know that. It does because there's a wire hanging from the Oscar to the thing. It's like the Oscar experience in California. It's like, it's a fake Oscar. It's a situation. You should, you you got to see the picture because it was one of the best pictures of me. And it was a picture that I used for a long time. Uh, and it kind of, I kind of, it kind of put me on. Mm-hmm. It, like I was on. Fuck what y'all niggas talking about, man. Nobody's saying anything. You over here fighting yourself. Nobody said anything. What happened in Vegas to Dallas? Talk about it. What can I say? You did the interview. Earl, listen. (sighs) 
I knew it was going to be a good fight. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more 50-50. Obviously, I was uh, going for Earl Spence Jr. I would have put money on it if I really had time and thought about it. Um, I, this is a fight that was a long time coming. He made it happen, um, which Terrence Crawford gave him the credit for mm-hmm. at the end of the, the match. But watching that fight, I was shocked. I mean, first round, I remember thinking like, ooh, like he's, well, one, I was like, he's, he's really going after him. He's giving a lot of energy, but like Earl looks, Earl looks good the first round. Mm-hmm. And I never said that again. Yeah. Never said it again. He, it's like he wasn't moving out of the way. He was leaving himself mm-hmm. so exposed. And I, I, I'm not a boxing expert, obviously, but he just seemed to be leaving, leaving himself so exposed. Every single time he would throw a punch, it's like he was wide open. Like I said, he didn't seem to be weaving and bobbing. And I just, nothing he hit, like really even affected Terrence. I told this to somebody, I was like, it didn't even look like Terrence broke a sweat. It's tough. So it did not. It was a, a boxing fight. We had Errol Spence here on the show. Errol Spence said that he was going to punish like uh, Terrence Crawford. And look, that's how Errol Spence beats guys. He punishes them. Okay. The fight happened. And it was one of the most highly anticipated spy- fights in the entire sport. Two uh, welterweight undefeated champions um, for the unification <laughs> of all the belts. And Terrence Crawford just smoked Errol Spence's boots. Smoked Errol Spence's boots. He just smoked him. It wasn't very competitive. Uh, it wasn't really competitive at all. Um, it's tough to watch. I it, was like, please call it. Please call it. It was. It was. It was tough, and it was a bad weekend for Texas because Jamal Charlo, Jamel Jamal Charlo. Charlo brother, one of the Charlo brothers, got the shit smacked out of him by Caleb Plant. Why does stuff keep happening backstage like that? Because it's going down. It's going down. Did he sneak up on him? No. Caleb Plant claims that uh, Charlo, it's Jamel or Jamal? I feel like it's Jamal Charlo. Jamel Charlo. Jamal Charlo. Anyway. um, Jamel. Jamel Charlo. Jamel Charlo. He claims that he uh, put his hand in his face. And then Caleb Plant, who's also a fighter, very good fighter, sprang into action like White Panther and slapped the dog shit out of Charlo, uh, adjusting his hat on his head. Now, look, it's not funny that that happened. Why do you say it's bad for Texas? Because Charlo's from fucking Houston. Born in Louisiana. So what? Louisiana roots. That's fine. He, he's, Born, in he, he's, Born in Lafayette. He, so now you don't want him, is what you're saying. Just saying. It was a bad day for the South, if that's what you want to say. Bad day for the, for the, the latex community. The guy is representing Houston. He's fighting out of Houston, Texas. The guy is fighting out of Houston. That's okay. Look, it's not that big of a deal. I love the Charlos. My thing is, is it, it's like watching the fight. It was a shocking end to what happened. We didn't get a chance to interview Bud Crawford, right? We did not get a chance to interview Bud Crawford, but. We did talk to Errol Spence, who seemed very confident, who seemed like he was... Sorry, it was Jamal. In the zone, Jamal. Yeah. Very confident, in the zone. And it just wasn't a fight at all. Everybody was there. And a, a ninth round stoppage, or eighth round stoppage. No, it was... A it was ninth. a ninth, ninth round stoppage. Just Crawford looked like a 
fucking. But it was the best he's looked. Didn't, like I, I haven't seen every Crawford fight, but it's the best I've ever seen him. He looked unbeatable. Yeah, like literally and the worst I've ever seen Earl. He looked unbeatable. He looked stronger, faster, more determined. Everything than Earl Spence. What do you what? So Dallas, you took it on the chin, crazy. What <laughs> what do what do if you're if you're Errol Spence, what do you do? What do you do? Well, he, said, Smith, he said on stage. Stephen A. Smith says he should fucking retire. Okay, Stephen A. Smith, chill out with the dramatics. He should not retire. This is the first time he's lost. First time he was even knocked down. But he said on stage that he wanted to do it again. Now I don't know if he was all with us when he was on stage talking, but when he was interviewed, he said. I want to do this again, which it's up to him to do it. Mm -hmm. I think Crawford would be down to do it again as well. I think it would bring, it would have just as much attention. But if he, if, if the worst happens for him again, then it's start time to start talking about all that other stuff. But right now you go home, you regroup, you watch the tape, you learn from it, you get better. The question is, is he going to stay in that category? Because he said that he wasn't going to fight in that category anymore. In the weight class. Weight yeah. class, whatever. Yeah. Whatever I told Mojo, you, Mojo Casa House. You got um, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I was like, wait, <laughs> Mojo Kingdom, Dojo. Kingdom, 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 Mojo Kingdom. Dojo Casa House. <laughs> See, anytime, anytime I explain something to Rachel like that, I'm just gonna catch myself and say Mojo Dojo Casa House. Um, Category weight class. You know what I meant. You know what I meant. I already said I'm not a boxing expert. Yeah. But the question is, is he going to stay in that weight class? Well, there's a rematch clause in in the uh, in the contract. And it's up to him. So he, he could trigger yes. a rematch clause. Mm -hmm. I do not think that Errol Spence... I think he should. Should. You think he should rematch? I think he should. He had one good round. He's deaf. He'll He's, do better than that next time. I, I, I don't know, man. It almost was like... He wasn't prepared to fight him at all. Like not not physically in any kind of way. Just like his get like his Crawford's game plan. It was like it, Crawford knew everything Earl was going to do. And Earl knew nothing that he was going to do. I don't do. know if he should. I don't know if he should. Uh, if they should fight again, man. I like it. It at least not right away. You know I mean like so? Not, who should Crawford fight next? Who should Crawford fight next? That's an interesting question. So Crawford wants to fight one of the Charlo brothers who is an undisputed champion at 154, which is the next weight class up from 147. So Crawford's willing to go up? He, yeah, Crawford wants to go okay, up. Okay, he wants to go up too. So if he if he fights him, Charlo, that Charlo brother has a fight with Canelo Alvarez next month. That's at 168. So that's two weight classes up from where he normally fights. He probably won't win that fight. If they don't break up his belts based upon him taking the fight with Canelo Alvarez, then the fight with him and Crawford at 154 uh, for all those belts is a pretty is a pretty good fight. It's a big money fight for him. It would be two big money fights for him in a row. Um, it just depends. It depends on whether or not he triggers that rematch clause. If he triggers that rematch clause, then they'll probably have to fight again in December. It also depends on whether or not they break these belts up. There's a guy named Tim Zhu at, uh, at 154 who is the mandatory for Charlo. So... If they do strip him of one of the belts, he could get one of the belts. And then that's a different situation for Terrence Crawford. Because if Terrence Crawford has to fight one guy to become undisputed at 154, which would make him 
a three-time undisputed champ in three different weight classes, which was really historic stuff. That's one thing if he has to do it in one or two fights. But if he has to go around 154 collecting all of these belts that have been split, split up, yeah. that might be like a two-year, maybe even a three-year endeavor. And he's already 36. so Or he's turning 36 pretty soon, so he may not have time. Um, it's interesting. The worst thing for the economics of this fight was to have one of these guys get beat this bad. Because if the fight was close, then there's an automatic rematch, right? If it goes to the cards, or even if the fight is close back and forth and then somebody gets knocked out in the 10th or 11th or 12th in the championship rounds and they come back and they do it again. Mojo Dojo Kasha House. Um, but if, because I'm explaining all of this stuff. I, get, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Oh, Mojo Dojo Kasha House again. Okay. okay. You don't think I do? Okay, no. Even the, the fact that you had to ask that is another Mojo Dojo Hakasa House, okay? okay. So, oh uh, so no, it just depends. Because, like, now they kind of fucked the money up a little bit because you could have got three of these or at least two of these. But now a lot of the public doesn't want to see it again because it, it looks like fucking day he got his motherfucking ass kicked. Like, not, not looks like he got his ass kicked. He got his fucking ass kicked terribly. Now, and by the way, fighters lose, bro. It's not that big of a deal. It's one loss. Errol Spence Jr. will be back. All right. That's a lot of mojo. Um, Look, we have uh, uh, um, an interview with Jewel Taylor of their clone Tyrone coming up right now. You excited to talk to him about the movie? I am because of how much I enjoyed it. You love that movie. Mm -hmm. You love it more than Barbie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, But on the other side of this break. Okay, so... There's a movie right now that it's got my mind in a blender. You and everybody else. I'll be honest <laughs> with you guys. The rage was Barbenheimer. Everyone was talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer. There was a film that came out that asked more central questions to my life. Took me on a much more deep and winding ride of desperation, intrigue, and also humor. The name of that film is They Clone Tyrone. Shout out to Charles King and everybody over there at, uh, at Macro. Um, but shout out to this man, the writer, director of They Clone Tyrone, who joins us today on Higher Learning, Jewel Taylor. Oh, man, appreciate it. Thank y'all for having me. Of course, brother. Thank you for joining us on Higher Learning. My man, what a fantastic movie. Black surrealism at its finest. Black humor at its finest. Storytelling at its finest. Uh, What was the inspiration for the film? Man, it knocked my socks off, bro. I don't have Mm -hmm. any more socks. You guys knocked them off. Oh, man, I appreciate that. That warmed my heart, man. That really warmed my heart right now. Uh, yeah, they honestly it it uh, it came from a couple places. You know, there's a there's a plot kind of place that came from of us just wanting to make a bootleg Scooby Doo movie. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, just wanted to make something where a detective movie where the detectives were ill-equipped, uh, but somehow uniquely equipped, mm. and. The other, just thinking about you know friends that I had that had some very unfortunate things happen to them that were like way outside their control, and 
how it affected them and, and, and subsequently how that affected me and, and my perception of, you know, what they were going through. You know, I had a friend who was depressed um, for a long time, but I didn't know it. And, uh, you know, when I finally sat down and really talked to him about it, you know, I was like internally embarrassed, you know what I'm saying? That like I didn't realize that he had been depressed for so long. And just thinking about like control in general and the idea of just blame versus responsibility and, you know, how privilege plays into that. And I think like somehow those two things kind of congealed into some weird planet of, you know, this goofy Scooby-Doo movie with this very like wacky plot. But this, you know, this thing that like really bothered me like personally bothered me, you know, and like I couldn't get it out of my head, you know, uh, mm-hmm. this idea of like, is there a difference between blame and responsibility and really feeling a level of discomfort about it, you know, uh, and I think because it made me uncomfortable, you know, when I sat down, me and Tony would always talk about it. Yeah, we felt like there was something there because it made me so uncomfortable, you know. Mm. So that's when we kind of started to explore it. And we always say, like, our ideas always start off as a like a gas cloud and then they congeal into a planet eventually that has hopefully some semblance of coherence. Uh, like, it, hopefully, it, at the end, it makes sense. Uh, but a lot of times, it, it's a lot of disparate ideas that somehow coalesce into something that maybe maybe makes sense (laughs) Mm. maybe makes sense Uh, Um, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you can can you dive a little bit more into when you talk about blame versus responsibility and how that created uh this idea this concept this movie because i find it it really interesting yeah i mean i think when you look at Fontaine. He's a character who on the surface has no culpability whatsoever. He's made two. He's a few days old. Uh, and yet, so you could safely say that he is not to blame for where we find him in the movie, when we find him. But and it, 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 it's not a movie that like, we didn't really set out to be didactic or you know, try to provide any answers. It's just things that, you know, I was exploring thematically. And so that idea of, you know, him starting in a place where his memories aren't his own, his circumstances aren't his own, his home isn't his own, he has no mother, et cetera, et cetera. But when an inciting incident happens to him, I, you know, seeing himself, you know, now the responsibility is nonetheless put on to like fix the situation, right? Like, despite the fact that he didn't put himself in the situation, I think like mm-hmm. there's a level of unfairness to that, you know, um, that, you know, and, and that that's the thing that rhymed with people that I know back in, mm-hmm. you know, like in terms of like, you may, there's something like, deeply unfair about it, but at the same time, it the other side of the coin is like, it is what it is. If somebody, you know, 
put Spontane in this situation. They probably did it on purpose. And so they're clearly not going to help him get out of that situation. And so I think that's that push and pull of, you know, a character relinquishing responsibility, you know, and accepting responsibility is kind of what Fontaine is fighting throughout the movie, right? It's like, it's up to these three people who are kind of classic, quote unquote, wrong side of the tracks kind of characters, mm-hmm. you know, who some may say are culpable for the, the, why their neighborhood is the way it is in the eyes of outsiders. And suddenly they, the responsibility to save the neighborhood is put on, you know. Um, and so I don't have like a good answer personally. Like, like, like again, it's like, it's, I think we go out our way not to be prescriptive about it. Um, and so like, you know, I think it's more like that's the heart of that question and how it's expressed through the plot. Yeah, that was great. You definitely had an answer. That was great. That was great. I got it. I I saw something in the movie when Kiefer Sutherland showed up, right? You -hmm. think that Kiefer Sutherland is the ultimate big bad of the film. But then he tells you, I'm not. I'm just the guy here in mall cop sort of middle management capacity, making sure that things go right. And when you get to not the ultimate big bad, but the person that's literally putting the liquid in tubes is black. He's (laughs) an older version of uh, the clone that we have been following. He's an older version of who I like to call John Wick Fontaine. (laughs) That's who he was. That's the John Wick Fontaine. Right? Um, Was there something to be said there about the fact that when you use the blame versus responsibility dynamic, that at a certain point, some of this stuff is maybe our own doing at this point? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to interpret that scene. I mean, like, I think, again, you know, I I try to stay away from, you know, saying like, oh, we put ourselves in this situation specifically, but there's undoubtedly uh, there's undoubtedly things that we inflict on ourselves that we probably don't need to. Uh, More of having that conversation, right? Like you you're taking a character who you're hopefully going on a, you know, journey of self-discovery, right? In a classic filmic premise. Um, And if the mystery is, if the real mystery of the movie is like, who am I, right? Like, Fontaine isn't really trying to find out what happened. He's trying to find out who am I at the end of the day, right? Like, this is a person who understands, like, the science fiction mechanics that just happened to him. So he knows he's just been a trade candidate. He knows, you know, that there is a level of, you know, uh, there's a disparity between what he might have with internal impulses to do and like what they might have programmed. So for example, you hear him listening to I'll be sure he's listening to Blackbirds. Like, like there's 
small pieces of evidence that might suggest that certain things weren't programmed into it. There's this drift like that may or may not be, you know, evidence of soul, if you want to say. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the end of the movie and you're having this conversation with yourself, I mean, I think a lot of it is like working on hopefully multiple levels where you could interpret it as like a black community having a conversation with itself. And it's also this guy having a conversation with himself on just a existential level of like who, who he wants to be, who his identity is. Cause even though he's he come from this person, he's literally that guy, you know what I'm saying? They're very different people, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I think, you know, it's definitely fair to say there's some level of meaning to be extracted by, you know, the the guy he meets being quote unquote the man in the mirror, you know, if you wanna, you know, put it that way. Uh, but I, I, I again I, I hesitate to prescribe prescribe that meaning to somebody watching it because somebody watching it might not get that. Like, you know, like I think it's there if you're looking for it. <laughs> but, you know, you're doing yeah. your Donald Glover thing right now where you go, hey, it's in the art. I, oh, Jewel Taylor, yeah. genius, <laughs> genius <laughs> director, Jewel Taylor, is. I will oh, not yeah. explain it to you. Whatever you think it is is what it is. I know what you're doing, <laughs> Jewel. I mean, but, it, but I do think it's true on a lot of levels because if I, I can tell you like, oh man, this is that third, but if you watch it, you ain't get that thing. Like, who am I to tell you that you know? There you go. It's yeah. really, it truly is not mine unless it's in the universe. Like, it really is, like, it's to, you know, whoever consumes it, whether they like it or they don't like it, right? Like, it's still, you know, someone who doesn't like it is just valid for not liking it, to be honest, right? Like, if you don't like it, who am I to tell you the reasons you don't like it aren't good reasons for not liking it, so... It feels presumptuous like this, which is, I, I understand why Donald Glover and why Stanley Kubrick once upon a time, like, I understand why they didn't explain things all the way, because I, I personally feel very presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, pinning it down to one specific thing, you know, uh, because I feel like so many people watch it and interpret it different than I might have interpreted when we were writing. Mm. Um... Fried chicken, relaxers, grape juice, the church. No, 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 no. Great. No, no drink. No juice. See, that's how you know where she's from. Stop, stop, stop. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not grape juice. Don't embarrass me in front of company. It's not grape juice. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. You said grape juice. It's grape drink. Those are two completely different things. All right. Don't embarrass me. Great drink. You knew what I was saying. You knew where I was coming you know, from. He Honey D and he said, I want that purple stuff. Like that's that purple <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like Dave Chappelle. Give me that purple <laughs> stuff. Yeah. That is, that Excuse me. Grape drink. Drink. <laughs> um, the church, relaxers, uh, fried chicken. Why, well, one, how did you land on these things to choose? And why did you choose these specific things as to associate, um, like, control with, with or I guess these are staples within the Black culture, but to f- associate those with control? Like, why did you decide to use those? And was there any, I don't know, did you think you might get pushed back in any kind of way from the Black community to play into those stereotypes, I guess? Uh, of course. I mean, I mean, like, you know. Yeah, people, you know, we test screen the movie. I mean, I, I, you know that the second you start 
talking in that parlance, there's going to be a level of discomfort, you know. Um, and that's that's cool, you know. I think we we had our test screening. There were people who were like, "Yeah, I I, I understood it was satire, but I didn't like seeing that." It's like, which is fine, right? Like, it's who am I to tell you, you know, that you should like something? You know what I'm saying? So I knew way before we ever shot it that there was plenty of potential for <laughs> pitfalls, so to speak. Yeah. There was uh, banana peels on the floor to slip on. Um, and I think, you know, again, when it comes to, like, why, I think there's a couple of reasons that the film presents, um, you know, going back to the first image of, like, first thing you see in terms of how other people see you, right? Like, you start, you come out of these eyes and they're, like, observe, you know, observing you from a disaffected point of view. You know what I'm saying? I think, like, these, it's not just necessarily, like, control, but it's also, like, perception that that I think is interesting to play with, right? Because, like, I'm from Alabama, you know, and I, I do know people who don't want to eat chicken in front of white people. We don't want to eat watermelon in front of white people, you know. Um, and you understand why, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think it's more just interrogating why that makes me feel uncomfortable, why those things make us feel uncomfortable, you know what I'm saying? And like, what is it about the inherent act of eating chicken, you know what I'm saying? If, if not removed from the concept of someone else watching you see what I'm saying? Like it, the inherent it's, act of eating chicken. That's your next movie. That's the title of your next movie. <laughs> the inherent act of eating chicken. Colon. They clone Tyrone too. <laughs> or why does this Popeyes taste so fucking good? Oh, I do. I don't know. I'm sorry. Oh, you can, nah, you can cuss. Yeah, we don't oh. give a fuck. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. Or why is this Popeyes so fucking good? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like there's. There's something interesting in the dynamic of seeing these things that are very personal to us. You know, like I love all the things depicted in the movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a yeah. You look like a fried chicken eating nigga. Oh man, you know it's funny because I, I I don't love fried chicken much as baked chicken, but in the context of like macaroni and greens and like rice and gravy, <laughs> it, it elevates it's better than it is a pasta you know what I'm saying right. like I don't go to like KFC and eat fried chicken but like fried chicken in the context of a larger meal seems to like I'm more of a like baked chicken and right with like you know the gravy and whatnot. but you know I think everything depicted in the movie is stuff that I grew up consuming my sister like you know what I'm saying? my sister you products my sister you so like the only thing I would would say is like you know we didn't the intention isn't necessarily to demonize you know what's being depicted more to <laughs> more to have fun with the discomfort of knowing that like white people are watching because I think if white people weren't watching the movie this wouldn't even be a sore spot if that yeah. makes sense if it was, we were mm-hmm. by ourselves watching it like there's nothing to feel embarrassed by. And I think there's something interesting about that. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the idea that like, you know, there's still some level of decorum that you want to show in front of white people. You know, it's um, weird. After, after, after everything that's happened. 
Um, you know what's interesting about the movie? And I was just thinking about this because I've watched the movie like five times, right? Oh, so, man. Thank you for inflating them numbers. <laughs> yeah, I watched it like five times. No, I, told, I told Steven, I told, um, like I yeah. told him, like I told him, I was like, yeah, I've watched the movie like five times. I watched the movie a lot. You know, is the between those three films, it was the single greatest movie weekend I've ever had for new films. Oh, man. And you guys I, took the pole position. But I'll say this about the last time I watched the movie. I, I noticed something, Jewel. OK. OK. I just got to be real with you. OK. I watched the movie. And the movie made me. Want to go listen to the soundtrack? Shout out to the song "Shiesty" by Trinidad James. Plays at the end of the fu- uh, at the end of the film. I had Come to go hear that record. The, the needle drop was perfect, and the movie made me hungry for fried chicken. So, Jewel, in a way, if there was the perfect mind control movie that was out <laughs> there. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. The movie made me hungry for fried chicken and it made me want to go listen to the soundtrack of They Clone Tyrone, which I have listened to. I look drunk as fuck. <laughs> All of these songs are great. The soundtrack is fantastic. It takes me back to my youth when the movie had a soundtrack that was actually part of the narrative of the film, mm-hmm. which we don't see that that much anymore. But you're not working for, you're not working for the, the cloners, are you, Jewel? Oh, man. The, Either. I can't even joke like that because somebody will be like, but you, he told you, he's telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't like, be like, you know, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't lean into the marketing and shit, but the second you even joke like that, they're going to be like, nah, but he, he would tell the truth, honey, you know? Yeah, because was somebody who was working for the cloners would definitely say that they weren't working for the cloners. So just be careful what you answer. I do have to ask you something, yeah, though. You not answer at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, just don't yeah, answer. Don't say no nothing. right answer. Right. Yeah. No comment is more damning than anything. <laughs> <laughs> John Boyega in this movie. Um, I am from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Rachel here is from Dallas, Texas. So we are all Southern brethren, Texas kinda. Um, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> Texas sorta. I'm from the South. You're from the South. She's from Texas. Shout out to Texas. Um, Do you consider Texas the South? Yeah, I mean, I definitely. I mean, I think Thank you. Texas is like three places. For real, it's like it is. That's not a lie. That's true. West side of Texas is like the West Coast. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't. I've driven across Texas. I've driven from Bama to LA and that. Like you know, it's the whole fucking different biomes in one state. You know, the topography changes. You go like it's just total. You go from the bayou to the goddamn desert. It's different. (laughs) John Boyega, not from the American South, notoriously. This nigga is an Englishman, T and Kerpitz. He's, a, he's a, a, a British. He fell into this role so crazy. I mean, when I say one million percent authentic, and I know he's a fantastic actor, but still, though, even I was like, God damn, Fontaine, I know him. <laughs> what made his performance, number one, so authentic in the role and what made you guys see him mm-hmm. as Fontaine in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be honest, you know, like me and John had a lot of conversations about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, John is one of the coolest actors you'll ever meet. You know, because he, you can 
sit down with him and have like a straight up honest conversation with him. And like, I was worried about the British to Southern translation. And we talked about it, you know what I'm saying? And I think like, it was the fact that like, I, I love him as an actor, obviously. Like I saw Attack the Block way back when. It was like, Great movie. He gonna be a star. And they're like, oh, that's my boy. And when I saw the Star Wars trailer, I was like, I had the, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leonardo Jeff, uh, I was like super excited just to see like that this actor that was in this like movie that I love was like starting to get his recognition. So I already knew he was going to be big because he, he is a like fantastic actor, but I think it's the fact that like he's so cool and down to earth. So when you sit down and talk to him, like, man. What's up with this southern accent, bro? Like, I don't know if we should go full. Like, I could talk more country than I've been talking, right? Like, I can get deeper into talking like I'm from Montgomery, for real, right? But I hear in LA so long, you get like to scale down and you start throwing hellas in the mix. Suddenly, like, you don't <laughs> talk as southern as you normally would if you were surrounded. And I think a lot of that was like understanding that there was no way that he would be able to fully. disappear into the most aggressive southern archetypes but that he could you know if if he if he didn't try to go 100% the countryest person you ever met that that there was something that he could like achieve that I think would be really believable and he he really like just honestly like he came to Atlanta and he was he was everywhere like you know what I'm saying he was hanging out with my friends like and so I think just the fact that he kind of threw himself into just being a Southerner. And we were, you know, this was during COVID, so we were, like, sequestered. So I think a lot of osmosis of just hanging around Southern people mm-hmm. that, like, before we actually started shooting that, like, that mixed with a little bit of restraint in the performance. Like, again, like, I, you know, I think we, we were, like, don't be the most Southern guy we've ever met. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? That's going to be much harder to... Uh, much harder to accomplish, but you can be from the South. Like, everybody from the South doesn't talk like they have the country as accent. For sure. And plus, we have a little bit of leeway because we don't actually know where they are. Like they may be maybe in Alabama, they may be in Georgia, maybe in Tennessee. Like I thought it was Tennessee, yeah. So you also have a little bit of ambiguity in the region, so the dialect doesn't have to be... It's no one from Atlanta could be like, that's not an Atlanta accent. Like, you don't even know who's in it. You know, like that. Because the dialects obviously have little nuances between the states. You know, uh, but I think being able to kind of immerse himself, like just in the culture in general and being around people and being so open and like willing to, uh, you know, willing to just. <laughs> Go get barbecue with us. And just, you know, things that like kind of are extracurricular to, to an extent, but like he treated it as mandatory, you know? And so, so y'all gave all, him high blood pressure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. He, he came in there, mm-hmm. he was, his shit was regular, but now he's been around y'all for so long. That's crazy, man. That's well, crazy he, y'all did that to the Um, we talked about how the movie makes you think. It makes you question certain things. One thing that just blew me away was how funny 
the movie is. I mean, Tiana and Jamie together were the comedic duo that I never thought I needed, and I want to see more of them together. David Allen Greer as the pastor, and oh my goodness. And when I saw that, I, like, screamed. I was like, oh, it's David Allen Greer. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about, you know, like, how— I don't know how it all came together. The casting was so perfect, just working with everyone. Um, can you touch a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, casting was, took like almost two years to cast. You know, so really? There were a lot of snafus in the casting process, you know, a lot of just difficulty arranging schedules. I mean, that, that turns out to be like the bane of your existence. It's like people's schedules not lining up. But like, I think we were super lucky, you know, just to be able to have anybody interested in the script, right? By the time we, you know, by the time we'd written the script, we, we, we set it up without the script and we wrote the script and we're lucky to have interest, you know, from some people who were like way too talented. Like, I would not have been too people if I were these actors because I would not have trusted at all. <laughs> like, I'm just like a random dude out of film school. Me and Tony don't nobody know who we are. We just got a script. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like all these actors who like gravitated towards it for whatever reason. And so we it really was like an embarrassment of riches. You know what I'm saying? So like once we you know, once we had Jamie and Tiana and John, I think they were kind of a magnet for Keith Sutherland's the David Allen Greer's like they they were attracted because we had Jamie Foxx because we had John Brady because we had John Bears and their chemistry was this honestly it was out the box kind of chemistry right like it was very natural because I think everybody got along so well offset everybody just like you know crack jokes like that just in the trailer you know so I think that translated in a way that was unpredictable, but I was like, thank God, you know, because uh, you, you write, you, you might write a line and it might just be an interstitial line just to get you from point A to point B and then they perform it. And like, I, there's a lot of lines that, you know, you, you, you see it on the screen and the audience laughs and you're like, okay, that's like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't written necessarily like with the expectation of someone laughing, but they're so, you know, they're so comedically talented. They have such a good time and they have such good chemistry that, you know, you get surprised. I mean, Eric Robinson, Jay Alphonse, like, they are, like, stupidly funny to the point yeah. where while we were shooting, we started adding stuff. Like, oh, I did not know it was this funny. Okay. <laughs> we got to, okay, we need more, like, you know, we need more Isaac. We need more good boss. You know what I'm saying? Because they were so funny that, and they had, like, such good, chemistry with John uh, that you find yourself trying to give everybody more screen like Tamara here he played Giddy like she crazy good we added a scene for her um, and I think a lot of that just came down to nothing that I can take with you know what I'm saying that's all <laughs> they came and set like that you know what I'm saying so I just sat back like everybody else and tried not to miss it <laughs> um before the movie came out, obviously, uh, everyone knows that Jamie Foxx, who is one of the leads of the film, had a really, really scary health issue. And I think the culture was holding its breath. 
um, hoping and wishing that Jamie was going to be okay. And, you know, as luck and fortune would have it, he was up and around just around the time that this movie was getting ready to come out. It's like literally like a week, the week, or a couple of weeks before you start to see that Jamie is okay. Before a long time, nobody knew, and the only thing that was really out there were rumors. What was it like for you guys um, in the lead-up to the film trying to get the movie out there, but also, I'm sure, having mixed emotions and just emotions, period, about Jamie's health, how well he was, and, um, you know, how much he was going to be able to be a part of the rollout of the film. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we really... When it, you know, when he was like, oh, James in the hospital, everybody was like, <laughs> yeah. So I, the rollout of the film was definitely way in the back burner, especially, the, you know, like in the beginning, like you know, people are posting, you're like, what? Like, you know, you, you don't know what to believe because, like, you know, like I know Jamie, but it's not like I just talk to Jamie on a daily basis, right? And we shot the movie. In like 2019, 2020, I'm mean, excuse me, 2020, 2021, right? We've been shot this movie, like years ago like in terms of when Jamie failed. So it's, you know, it's, you don't want to be, I'm sure like a million people would call him. So it's like, I don't want to like blow his phone up, you know what I'm saying? I try to call him. And so like, you really like, in it's that those first, you know, couple of days, you consuming the same media that everybody else is consuming, right? Like, People are posting on all kind of theories on Instagram and like people saying they saw them. And so like that was like super worrying because really I had no idea what was going on. So I, I, I'd actually just sent to Tari a text message like, hey, you know, just let Jamie know, you know, that we love him, you know what I'm saying? And he had texted back like he's in good spirits. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just leave him alone. You know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, just in keeping in touch with, keeping in touch with Atari, Who's one of our producers, Tari Turner? You know, he kind of let it, you know, he kind of let us know like that he was that he was doing okay. So we knew that like it wasn't as dire as some people made it out to be, you know what I'm saying? And so I think we were able to, you know, uh, I talked to him for like five minutes, like maybe like a month ago, whenever that was. That's awesome. And he yeah. he sounded like himself, you know, like he sounded like I talked to him for a legit like not a long time right. me and John Boyega both talked to him, right um, and she seemed like himself and he was just like I'm proud of y'all you know what I'm saying and I'm just right. glad everything is good you know what I'm saying yeah. like, I never you know we never put no pressure on me to like to come yeah marketing or like you know I need you to make a post about Taiwan like you know anything he posts about Taiwan is like his own volition I got a, I got one more for, question for you before you go. I know you got to go. Oh, no. I'm pitching a movie to you real quick. Okay. I do this all the time on the show. I got a pitch for you. Okay. The movie is called They Clone Travis. Okay, for sure. It's a white version of They Clone Tyrone. <laughs> you have to cast this right now. I need Slick. I need Fontaine. I, I need the Tiana Paris character. I need every, just... Casted real quick. They cloned Travis is the movie. 
You literally, you have to go. You have to leave right now. So you have literally 30 seconds, maybe a minute to, to cast. They cloned Travis is the name of the movie. Go for it. Travis is uh, Timothy Chalamet. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is Travis for real. Um, you know, why? I just I put it in my gut. Um, <laughs> Slick Charles, we're going to pull Jim Carrey back in the comedic bag. Oh! Okay, I'm liking this. Another in living color yeah. alumnus right there. So, for sure, we're going to pull Jim Carrey back. Back in the comedic band, we gotta we gotta bring them eyeballs. So you know we gotta cast Marco Robbie. <laughs> I was thinking that <laughs> as, as, as yo yo, you know what I'm saying? Gotta bring them eyeballs. Um, <laughs> the uh, let's see for uh, the preacher, we gotta go Walton Goggins. I like that. <laughs> I love Walton Goggins. And he's right Walton. now. Have you you watching? I'm a Virgo. I, I haven't seen you know I, I haven't seen it yet. I plan to watch it in a binge session. I editor edited some of the episodes, half those episodes. So Simon yeah, Hayden cut Tyrone. She cut half the episode of Tyrone. So I want to be able to sit down and like binge watch it. Right. That uh, that that's that's it. That's yeah. the you got it. I, I want to see it. I want they clone Travis. I'm telling you, you know what's gonna happen now? What's gonna happen now is they're gonna come to you and they're gonna be like, hey, you and Charles King, Stephen Dr. Love. They're going to be like, hey, we want to do they clone Travis, bro. I'm oh, telling you. Just tell Timothy people to hit my people type shit. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, that is someone who, I'm not going to bullshit you. I think the guy's a genius. I'm, I'm sorry to say that in front of you, bro. Yeah, it is tough. Yeah, I, I think the guy's a genius. That's Jewel Taylor. Thank you for joining us yes, on Higher Learning, you. man. We love the movie. I'll probably spend it five or ten more times just to <laughs> let you know, bro. It's a great film. I want to fill out slippery questions and shit. You know, I'm trying to slip through. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, no, you're great. Was, you're great. I'm going to um, go get some fried chicken after this and listen to some more of the music, some of the mind control music, bro. That's some great juice. Some great <laughs> drink. Uh, we appreciate you joining us on Higher Learning, bro. Yes, thank you. HR, thank you. Um, there's, other, uh, there's other stuff that we... Oh, real quick, before we go. Rachel. There's a Twitter account, Call to Activism, posted a quote and a picture of a white grandfather with his mixed-race mm. granddaughter. And it said, my dad didn't approve when I married a dark-skinned man. Probably He's one. some kind of racist hillbilly. <laughs> when I was pregnant, he told me he didn't want anything to do with my biracial daughter. Here he is painting her toenails on her third birthday. Here's proof people can change. Uh, this tweet has been getting called out by people who don't like the fact that this exists. Do you have a problem with this tweet at all? Yeah, she clearly doesn't understand racism, the mother who posted this. How so? Well, the fact that you're calling your dad a racist hillbilly, which who knows what all he said about the fact that you were with a black man and the fact that you were going to have a child with him. That is some deep-rooted racism. This man is much older in age. The fact that he's painting your granddaughter's toes means that he likes your granddaughter. It doesn't mean that he has changed his entire opinion on black people. He likes his granddaughter. That's all I see from it. And just because he's painting her toes doesn't mean he's probably calling in his head that her a little nigra at the same time. <laughs> you don't think he's still, he could still be, he could still be racist as 
fuck and still be painting her toenails. So the fact that you're using that as an example to show that this is how people can change, I'm gonna need a lot more than Grant from Granddaddy to know that he's changed his ideas on black people more than him painting his biracial granddaughter's toes. What would you need from Granddaddy? Well, I need to him to tell me how he's changed. It's not my I need if he's changed, tell me how. You painting you tolerating your granddaughter by painting her toes does not show me that you're not you're not racist anymore. Okay, so I'm dispassionate about this picture and everything. I'm not passionate about I know, it. I know, but I'm saying the painting of the toenails doesn't at least indicate in some kind of way that he loves and fucks with his granddaughter. You don't think so? I know somebody okay. who we went to school together and I remember this white boy liked me in school and she told me, we were in elementary, and she told me that the Bible, I think I've said this on the podcast before, that the Bible says that dark and light people are not supposed to mix. Mm. And, you didn't take that advice. And and neither did she. <laughs> <laughs> because she went on to date black men and now has three children by a black man. Okay. She changed. And she told me that her parents were the ones who told her that dark and light are not supposed to mix. Mm -hmm. So that's letting you know what her parents think. Her parents love those grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Do I think her parents still have issues with black people in general? Absolutely. Why? They love their grandchildren because their daughter because had they're, that. Because they're those, they love and those And I see people. the way that they treat the father of that child. They do Which not like not him. Well. They do not like him. It's a totally, they do not have any kind of relationship with him. And there's other issues that have gone on. So it's more than just him being black, but they certainly have certain issues about him and feel a certain way, but they love the children because they look at the children as innocent. The children choose who their father was, but they look, I'm serious. That's how they, I'm, that's why I look at this picture and I'm like, I'm, I keep, I'm trying not to say the girl's name. They, it just reminds me of that family. So, I mean, that's a fantastic point. Just because you love the people that are coming out of your body and your loins doesn't mean that you love black people. Right. Doesn't mean Those are their great. Yeah, their daughter had these kids, these innocent children. And they love they love their grandchildren. They really do. Can I say something else? I don't really find it cause for concern when like white people get over racism. I mean, cause for celebration. When white people get over racism. When white people get over racism and reform themselves from being racist or anyone gets over any ism, <laughs> I don't really. You know what? It's fine. Look at what can happen. People cannot be racist. And I don't get I don't get the warm and fuzzies. Well, this woman does not understand racism. Here's a picture of my granddad post painting her toes. Proof people can change. He's tolerating the little nigger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They think <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Take your thinking caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>